It is with great privilege to be able to be here today to share with you from God's Word. It's my prayer that this Word will somehow touch your heart and remind you that God is faithful, there's power in God, and we can trust Jesus. Let's dig into God's Word today as we look at the Gospel of John. John 11, 32 through 46. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, you have been here. My brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus came again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against him. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you, thank you for all that you've heard me. I know that you have answered my prayers, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrappings around with cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we just ask you that the words that I share today will be your words. Nothing more, nothing less. That as these words are preached, you'll speak, our hearts will be open, touched by you, experience your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is All Saints Day. It's a time for us to give praise to God for the lives of our loved ones, our saints, who have died since our last celebration of All Saints Day. It's being thankful for them, for their lives, their faith, and what they still mean to us. It's the laying claim that this life is not the end. There is eternal life that comes from accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, being a part of laying claim to his grace. There are numerous people we can recall today in our lives whom are remembering. It could be a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, a sibling, a spouse, a child, aunt or uncle or friend. Or maybe somebody's passed away some time ago. The person who comes to my mind is my Aunt Aura. Don't you just love that name, Aura? <laughs> my mom's oldest sister by 23 years. She lived in Blacksburg, Virginia. I would go to visit her as a child with my family. And one thing I remember distinctively, in going into her home, she had a box of Russell Stover candy and Juicy Fruit Gum. 
Could it get any better? It was awesome. And one thing I knew is my Aunt Ora loved me. She cared for me and she's someone that was always behind me 100%. She would come to visit us in Roanoke, Virginia. And that, at that point I was a teenager and here her age had gotten older and her hearing had gotten worse. And so there are times when we as a family were gathered into our living room talking and Aunt Ora wasn't in the room, but we could hear Aunt Ora e eavesdropping because her hearing aid battery was turned up and started to screech. So in that we'd laugh because we knew Aunt Ora heard us. But she was an amazing woman of faith, someone who truly trusted God. She had many difficult things happen to her in her life. She had lost two husbands. She had a child who died at a young age. She had a son and daughter-in-law who struggled with addiction. And then she was a breast cancer survivor. She never complained. She trusted God. She was a person of prayer. She went to church. Anna Orr is someone that has moved me to have faith in God, to trust God with the challenges in my life, for me to know the power of our faith is the same power I can have, the Jesus power in me. You know, we can celebrate these times of our loved ones and what they mean to us, those who are no longer with us. But at the same time, same time, we can feel grief. Our grief can be so intense. The sadness lingers. Do you ever wonder yourself, will I ever feel better? Do you feel like you're still in the valley of the shadow of death as described in Psalm 23? Grief can be so overwhelming. It's unpredictable. It hits us at different times. It is like we're on a roller coaster of emotions of happy, sad, glad, and mad. And as we are experiencing that, sometimes when we come home to an empty house and our loved one is not there and it's late at night, it becomes even sadder. We miss that person and our grief becomes more intense. I know that was the case for me. My heart just ached when, when I would go home after my wife, Brenda, my previous wife, who had died at age 38 after being diagnosed with a glioblastoma brain tumor. She died within a short time of her diagnosis. I want to ask you all, how has your grief journey affected you? How does your grief make you feel? Let's look at the scripture for today. We're going to see Mary and Martha, these sisters, and how they responded to their grief. First of all, to set the picture, their brother Lazarus was sick and they sent for Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come and be there for them to, to heal Lazarus because they knew good and well that Jesus could do that. Can you imagine their pain and heartache, but then the great disappointment, they sent for Jesus and, and Jesus doesn't come. Surely they were disappointed and frustrated that Jesus did not come through for them. This is the Jesus who supposedly loved them. Jesus and his disciples finally make it to the home of Martha and Mary. Both women encounter Jesus by themselves, each one having the same questions. Martha, she heard that Jesus was coming towards the house, so she leaves and she greets Jesus. The first thing she says to Jesus is, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Martha goes inside the house and then she says to Mary secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. So Mary, what does she do? She gets up, she runs to Jesus where he is and she falls at his feet. And then she says something very similar to what Martha said. She says, 
Where were you, Jesus? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Maybe you, in your grief, has asked Jesus that same question. I know I did. The question is, why, did, why couldn't you keep my loved one from dying? You are a God. How come you couldn't come through? Certainly there's more questions to ask. You see, questions that come forth in the form of lamenting. Lamenting is very biblical. I'll give you some examples in just a bit. But here's what lamenting is. Lamenting is complaining before God, crying out to God with those questions of why, and then saying, my life stinks, and I don't like where I am. I'm depressed, and I'm worn out. God, help me. Here are some people in the Bible who felt that way. Job, he was a righteous man. And all these things, God happened to him, bad things. And from me, he was wondering why God allowed that. Because here he was, a righteous man. He lost his family. So much happened to him. And then Job questioned God. Then we had David in Psalm 23. He writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the death of his son, baby son? Then the prophet Jeremiah, as we read in the book of Lamentations, which is about Jeremiah's life, a little history on this. The people of Jerusalem, they had turned away from God. They worshipped idols, and as they worshipped idols, they began to neglect the poor. God, in his anger, caused the Babylonians, or allowed them, to come in and rule over Jerusalem. And as they did so in three different invasions, eventually the walls of Jerusalem were torn down, the temple was destroyed, and then some of the Jews from Jerusalem were taken away to Babylon for exile. So here we have Jeremiah left with what's left over in Jerusalem. People are starving, people are dying, much agony, awful, awful scene. And so we have Jeremiah, and here's what he's saying in Lamentations 3, 17 through 18. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. And then we have Jesus. This is, I think, probably the, the best example of lament. When Jesus is dying on the cross, and he says to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We must give ourselves to our permission to lament. Let me say that again. We must give ourselves the permission to lament. It's a part of our grieving process. If we do not lament, that impedes our healing. We have to allow ourselves to ask those questions, to wonder, to why, to doubt, to be angry. You see, I don't think it's a lack of faith when we lament. It takes faith to lament. It's a willingness to trust God, that God accepts us even with where we are, with all our complaints. Martha was questioning Jesus. Even though she had faith, she still questioned Jesus. In verse 22, the conversation goes like this. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And it's not that God does, but God can. Mary has faith that as she ran to Jesus, she first of all fell at his feet and, and worshipped him. So she too believed. But it's with their belief that they're able to lament and ask questions. During lament, we can lay claim to our faith and the faithfulness of God. David in Psalm 22 reads, after the, my God, my God, why have you first taken me, comes verse 3, yet you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. The key is remembering his faithfulness begins to melt away our complaints. 
Remembering his faithfulness melts away our complaints. We begin to open ourselves to trusting God again. Jesus meets us in this process. His desire is to take what little faith we have, even if it's a faith that's hanging on by a thread, to move us to trust, to trust that God, that Jesus is the Son of God, fully divine, fully human. So how did he do so for Martha? Listen to these words of Jesus to Martha in verses 25 and 27. He said this to Martha, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Jesus then says to Martha, do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Martha believed in Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Jesus wants Martha to see so much more so that he is life. There's life in him. His life is alive in all who believe. As we believe and trust in him, he would transform one's heart from a spiritual death to spiritual life in him. There is a spiritual death brought forth from the fall of Adam and Eve. Jesus' tears when he was there, very saddened by the scene, he was not only showing compassion for Mary and Martha and those around him who were sad, but he was also torn because he knew that there were people around him that were spiritually dead, that did not know God, that didn't have this Jesus alive in them. So here he is, he's at the tomb. And as he's at the tomb, getting ready to raise Lazarus from the, the dead, some of the people around him are saying, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus so longs for everybody gathered at the tomb, in fact, all in life, to experience his life alive in us. The life that's described in the following verses. Listen to these verses closest. As you do so, you'll see how Christ is alive, very much alive in you and in me as Christians. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. Bottom line is Jesus is alive in our hearts when we accept him. It's his love that moves and gives us the power that we need. Jesus is saying to our lamenting, I'm going to meet you where you are. I have this life-giving presence for you that's in you. You have the power of God. This power of God that raised people from the dead will raise your, your heart to life if you don't know me. You see, Jesus, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you have sent me. After Jesus' prayer, he cries out in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And in that, God is witnessing Jesus. And as they see this power of the Son of God, they begin to believe. The miraculous ways of God is indeed seen in this Jesus. The Jesus who meets us in our grief to bring us out of the tomb of our despair. It is this power of Christ's life in us. He takes us with where we are and moves us and deepens us in our faith. When we are in that place, we can then trust him, believe in him, 
because it is, is his power in us that moves us to see more of him to do so. I thought I'd share with you a story about someone who experienced great power of the Christ life in them. His name is Frederick Booth Tucker. He was a preacher from the Salvation Army Church. This was years ago. He was preaching a sermon in Chicago. And while he's preaching the sermon, he's talking about the goodness of God and how God is sufficient, God is faithful, God's love. And then after the, the sermon, someone came up to him and said, really? <laughs> I don't believe that one minute. My wife is dead. My children are crying for their mom. How could you say that about God? I bet if that happened to you, you wouldn't be able to say what you're saying today. Well, a short time afterwards, this gentleman, Frederick Booth Tucker, his wife died in a train accident. And so it was at her funeral that he was standing in front of her casket and he was looking at her and then he turns to the congregation. And he says, you know, there's a man that came to me not too long ago and questioned the sufficiency of God, that if I had gone through the same grief he had, that I would feel differently. And then he said, my heart is broken. My heart is bleeding. I'm deeply sad and distraught, but I'm here to tell you people that if this man was here, I'd say to him again, God is sufficient. The power of Christ is in me and in you. And because of seeing that power, experiencing the Son of God, I'm able to face it one day to the next. Interesting enough, the man who had talked to earlier in a previous day was at the service. And this man came up and said, I now believe. I now believe from what you said that there is the power of Christ in us. It moves us, it helps us to see the Son of God that has moved me to belief. That is power. That is so God at work. And you know what? God is going to be at work in communion. I love it about communion. The power of God, the resurrected Jesus in this time of communion to take on that grace, that grace that Jesus has died upon the cross for all our sins. And as he died across for all our sins, we are forgiven. And then we have that new life. We're a new creation in Christ. And from that new life, we are alive, the power of Christ. And from that, we, we move forward to see the need for him even more so, to know him more deeply. So I pray that as we have this time of communion today, as we have the bread and the juice, that that'll touch your heart, remind you of who you are and whose you are, that, that Christ alive is in you, and we can claim that. Today, we lament, we believe, and we're transformed. Do so in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.